So imagine this. Imagine you could be a fly on the wall at Fort Benning when an army colonel starts speaking to the captains and first sergeants, new company commanders, about how to lead and how to establish a proper command climate. That would be pretty cool to sit in on that, wouldn't it? Definitely. Well, we're lucky because the the gentleman who actually gives that talk every year, Colonel Tom Felty, is going to be coming on the podcast today. Welcome to Flashpoint, the Fire Inside podcast. Featuring leadership and team building principles designed to ignite your inner fire and help you reach your full potential. On our program, you will learn from professional athletes, military and business experts, inspirational figures, leaders in the fire service, and other top achievers who have reached the pinnacle of success in their chosen fields. And now your host, international speaker and best-selling author, Frank Viscuso. Colonel Thomas Felty, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Frank, and it's uh, it's great to be here. I'm real happy to have you here. Um, you know, we have known each other for a very long time, and I've been watching what you've been doing with your career with the Army. Uh, it's been pretty spectacular, and for people that don't know, Colonel, you know, it's a, it's a very high rank, and I believe it's between Lieutenant Colonel and and uh, Brigadier General. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, Frank, that's uh, that's correct. What I really like is that um, each year you speak to some of the officers at Fort Benning about establishing a proper command climate. And that's what I would like you to come on and talk to our listeners about today is, is establishing that proper command climate. So can you talk a little bit about what that is? Sure, Frank. And it's uh, and so every month, you know, uh, you know, one of the things that I do in support of our higher headquarters uh, here at Fort Benning, Georgia, the Maneuver Center of Excellence, is I give a... Uh, I start off the company commanders and first sergeants course with a with a class uh, on command climate, or really a, a discussion on on command climate. You know, and, and in the army, a company commander and a first sergeant really that's that first level of command, uh, and you it's it's where it's where a captain and a and a first sergeant you know have command over about, about a company of about a hundred hundred or so uh, you know men and women. So it's it's the first time an officer you know commands. So it's it's real important for them to uh, you know to make sure they get that uh, they get that right along with their uh, first sergeant. So command climate, you know, what is it? Uh, you know, it may or may not be a uniquely military term, but it's you know the command climate is really the environment that you set in which you can effectively lead. And if you're not, if you may be a good leader, but if you don't set the proper environment, then your leadership will be less effective. Mm -hmm. The analogy that I like to uh, that I like to give to all of uh, you know the commanders, uh, new new commanders and, and first sergeants is, it's kind of like uh, it's if you were a fish, the command climate would be the water that you uh, that you swim in, and and really what you're after is you're after you know oxygenated, uh, deep, wide, you know fresh and clean water. That that's what we want to uh, what we want to have. Um, and then when you, that, that's when you have to do things to create that, you got to nurture that, uh, nurture that environment. You know, and the opposite then would be if you were, you know, we, we talk sometimes about a toxic leader, you know, you're not doing something right. You're not respecting people, or, you know, you may be uh, overly micromanaging, you know, what you're doing is you're, you're putting toxins in the water. And, mm -hmm. and so then, you know, you're just not as happy as a fish, you know, or maybe we don't empower our subordinates. And so now you're, you know, instead of swimming in a, you know, in a vast, wide and deep, 
you know, bit of water. Now you find yourself in a very narrow or very shallow pool, or or maybe you end up being a goldfish in a fishbowl, which would uh, which would not be necessarily uh, ideal. So so that's kind of the example that I uh, that I use in terms of. Uh, you know how describing what a command climate is, and then and then we you know then we we'll go through many things in in terms of how do you establish that uh, that command climate, and you how do you nurture that command climate, which is something that you've got to upkeep all the time. It's not just a one time thing. I mean, it really is an an all the time thing, Frank. And you just talked about empowering your people to make decisions, and well, we had a conversation just the other day, and you were explaining to me how uh, you were giving given an order one time that you did not think was uh, a good order based on the mission that you had. And that led us to a conversation about mission command. Can you elaborate on that a little bit? Sure. So, you know, one of the, uh, you know, one of the aspects I think of, um, of establishing an effective uh, command climate is really adhering to the philosophy of, of mission command. And so mission command is a, uh, it's a, it's an army style of leadership that's typified by subordinate leader initiative and action. You know, it's grounded in trust and a deep understanding of the overall mission and the and the commander's intent. And so, you know, it's it's not just you know telling our subordinates, "Hey, ready, go!" You know, go make decisions, go do things. You know, uh, you've you've got to inculcate that into your uh, into your formation. You want to power down decisions, uh, responsibility, and, and authorities. You know, down to uh, you know down to the most realistic uh, and reasonable reasonable level. Now, as a senior commander, you know you just again you can't just sit back and and let mission command happen. You know, uh, leader in the army, you know, we say that mission command it's bounded. You know, so there are left and right limits in terms of where a leader, uh, subordinate leader, is allowed to take disciplined disciplined initiative, and that's what we use. We use the term disciplined initiative, not just initiative, right? So it's got to be you know well aimed and well calculated and informed initiative uh, in order to make the organization uh, effective, or in order for us to accomplish our uh, our mission, maybe in the absence of specific orders. So as a senior leader, we've got to ensure that our subordinates really do have that deep understanding and a complete of the complete situation. They've got to know what's going on. They've got to know what you know. They've got to know what your boss knows. They've got to know how how things are supposed to come together. Um, and then and they have to know how we're trying to accomplish you know things and how maybe our units to our left and right are. Um, so that that deep understanding of of the situation allows them to, you know, to make more prudent decisions when the, um, you know, when the time comes that they, they have to do things because we all know the situation on the ground changes, right. you know, especially in the military, you know, uh, the enemy always gets a vote and the enemy's not going to do what we want to do. So we want our subordinates to be able to, you know, to react, you know, we want, the, we want them to fight the enemy and not the plan. You know, if we blindly follow a plan, you know, there's a lot of external, you know, changes in the environment that we may miss. And, and that's what we want our guys to do. We want them to fight, fight the plan or fight the enemy, not the, uh, not the plan. Now, the other, the other thing too, that, uh, you know, you've got to do when you're executing mission, uh, mission command is, you know, you've, you've got to clearly lay out which decisions are yours, mm-hmm. you know, which decisions do you have to make that are unique to you? Um, now, ideally, you should be pushing as many decisions, you know, down as you can to your subordinates. You should be looking to give decisions away. Um, if you don't have to tell someone how to do a certain aspect of of a uh, of a you know of a mission or a plan uh, or an activity, then then don't don't you know don't uh, don't give them that 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 guidance. Just right. you know let them let them figure it out on on their own. But on certain times, you know, you got to figure out, hey, these decisions are mine, and you have to tell them what those decisions those decisions are. Um, and now. 
in terms of, you know, how do you know, you know, which decisions are yours? And, you know, uh, I, I, we kind of look at it as like risk, risk to mission, you know, so if, if you're about to take some type of, you know, demonstrate some type of initiative and take an action, if you don't, if, if you think you could put my mission at risk, then you probably need to come talk to me about what you're going to, uh, what you're going to do. Now, if you're not putting my mission at my mission at risk, then you're free to, to execute that disciplined initiative. Um, but again, if you're going to put my mission at risk, then you need to have a uh, conversation. Likewise, if it's my higher commanders or higher bosses, uh, mission at risk, you, again, you got to have that, you got to have that, uh, that conversation. So that's kind of that, that clear delineation of, of, okay, right. slow down and, uh, and, and let's have a uh, conversation. The, the other aspect is, you know, we always kind of balance, you know, uh, balance between risk, uh, mission, risk to mission and risk to, uh, risk to men. You know, if you are going to end up, if, if maybe I'm watching you conduct your mission, uh, but then I see, you know, based on, you know, maybe the priority of the mission or how important it is, maybe you would have, uh, you're putting your men or your soldiers, uh, at, at a greater, greater risk to personal safety than, than, than maybe the mission would call for. And that'd be another area maybe which like, okay, maybe we don't need to, uh, you know, we don't need to necessarily take that, uh, that specific action. If, if this all makes sense, Frank. It does make sense. It makes a lot of sense. And, uh, and one thing that you, uh, glanced on that I'd like to, I guess, hit on a little bit more deep is, uh, yeah, it's good that they know how to do things, but it's really important that they know why they're doing it. So that's right. Talk a little bit about that. Talk about how, uh, you know, there could be a disconnect if you're, if we cons consistently tell people, this is what you need to do and this is what you need to do now. And this is the way I want you to do it. Well, we're not telling them what the reason is for that actual mission. Right. I mean, and, and so part of, uh, you know, part of the, the command climate, uh, you know, discussion I, I hold with my folks, we talk about always explaining the, uh, the military necessity of why we're actually doing something. You know, it's, uh, you know, I think, I think all of us now are, uh, are leading millennials. And, and I think, you know, if you read any about, you know, managing and leading uh, millennials, mm -hmm. uh, they, they like to know, they like to know the why, you know, they just, it's, uh, it just kind of satisfies something inside of them. And then it also helps them put into context, you know, what their actions are doing. It's like, oh, okay, I'm doing this because it supports, you know, this and that. Uh, but, but again, we always talk about the military necessity and that just clearly links your action to why we are specifically doing something. Right. Because, you know, when you have a lot of, you know, disparate, you know, organizations doing many different things, that linkage is not always, is not always clear, but, but. But many times we need those linkages to happen. We need people to do certain things in order to achieve, you know, the overall, you know, the overall end state or the overall goal. And so when you when you take time to explain, hey, what you're doing, you know, contributes to this and it contributes to that. And then by you doing that, it allows us to do this. You know, um, that 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 usually kind of the, the person usually sees, you know, the bigger picture and that helps them as they're uh, as they're as they're moving forward. And, that, and then it gets into if you can't explain the why. Right. We mm -hmm. also use the the, uh, the, you know, the opposite of this. If you can't explain the military necessity to why you're doing something, then maybe maybe you shouldn't be doing that. Right. So, uh, you know, we always say, so why am I not allowed to wear my cold weather gear? You know, when it's really cold outside, um, it just doesn't make any sense to me. You know, what is the military necessity? Uh, well, you know, sometimes you'd see, uh, you know, commanders and, you know, or young leaders would be like, well, we just want you to get tougher, you know, and experience the cold. Well, I mean, I. That, I guess that's a small piece of it, but that doesn't really measure up to the military necessity. Now, on a you know, conversely, if you would say, "Hey, listen, you know, uh, 
we have a long movement to go on. So I need everyone to remove all of their cold weather gear. Uh, so, so that we're moving, you know, you don't overheat and we're going to be, you know, stripped down to kind of our, uh, you know, our bare minimum uh, gear. And then you make that long movement and then you start to cool down and then you put your gear back on and you, you know, that kind of links in with, okay, well that makes sense. This is the, uh, you know, this is the why of, uh, of us executing a certain task. And I, again, that's just illustrative, Frank. Yeah, that's great. Uh, I know that you are uh, like pretty much all of us that watch movies like We Were Soldiers. You're probably a fan of General Hal Moore and uh, his leadership style and what he's done. I, and you actually have something in common with him, correct? Yeah, that, that's right, Frank. You know, so uh, you know, so those who have read the book uh, We Were Soldiers Once and Young, or have uh, have seen have seen the movie, you know, We Were Soldiers. Uh, so you know, the the book starts off with uh, with Hal Moore, you know. Uh, you know, kind of uh, where the movie starts off with Hal Moore moving his family to uh, to Fort to Fort Benning, Georgia, and uh, the the battalion that he actually takes command of is the Second uh, Battalion, Twenty Third Infantry, out of the Second Infantry Division, and that was designated as an experimental unit for our army, and they were experimenting with uh, you know the air mobile tactics or or air cavalry using you know helicopters you know to move their infantrymen you know from you know, uh, from one place to a point of advantage over the, uh, over the enemy. So, uh, you know, the, the cool thing is, you know, uh, when Hal Moore first took over, he, he did take over the second battalion, 23rd infantry. And, and that's the same battalion that I commanded, you know, in Fort Lewis, Washington, and also in, uh, regional command South and Kandahar province, uh, uh, Afghanistan. And, uh, you know, so, and, and a lot of, you know, you know, uh, his house, his movie house and all that is at Fort Benning, Georgia too. So that's kind of, uh, you know, my common piece with, uh, with, with Hal Moore, um, of course, later on in the movie, you know, the unit was redesignated uh, to First Squadron Seventh uh, Cavalry, and so you know that that was the extent of uh, our commonality. That's that's fantastic. I love uh, his four principles for leaders' conduct in battle. I just want to uh, say them real quick, and maybe we can elaborate a little on that as well. But uh, number one is three strikes and you're not out. Number two, there's always one more thing you could do to influence any situation in your favor, and after that, one more thing, and after that, one more thing. Number three was when there's nothing wrong, there's nothing wrong, except there's nothing wrong. And number four was trust your instincts. And, you know, our instincts are a product of, of our experiences, our reading, uh, our education, our training. Can you talk a little bit about that, about how you guys develop instincts? Sure. I mean, so, you know, uh, so, I mean, how more, I mean, you know, a distinguished combat, uh, you know, combat veteran from, you know, from Korea and, uh, and also, and also Vietnam, you know, and so, you know, in terms of dis in developing and training, uh, instincts, I mean, it's, there's a little bit of a, uh, you know, methodology to it. And we say it's, uh, what we want to do is we want to, we want to develop our subordinates, you know, and we do that through ruthless repetitions mm. under varying conditions. And that's what ultimately builds, you know, proficiency, because especially when you come into close contact with the enemy uh, or, you know, another another situation, you know, in your case, you know, uh, you know, a fire, right, you move into a, you know, a fire is your enemy um, and you, you move in that it, it's, it's really pattern pattern recognition. And so, you know, over time, you know, experience allows you to see a lot of different patterns. Now, these are complex patterns. I mean, these aren't just simple, simple patterns, but, you know, you walk into a, you know, to a room and you see, and you, you know, you recognize, you know, smoke or a spark or a fire, something like that. Likewise, we walk into a certain area and we recognize, you know, maybe where the enemy's machine gun is or his rifle is, but, you know, uh, but overall you begin to recognize patterns. Right. Um, and then you, and these patterns then, 
it's just in varying conditions and, and we say in varying conditions of terrain. And so you want to be able to do this in a wooded area. You want to be able to do it at night. You want to be able to do it in the open, in a wide open area. You want to be able to do it in an urban area. You want to be able to do it in the summer and you want to be able to do it in the, you know, in the winter, um, with high visibility, low visibility in the fog. And so it's, it's exposing your soldiers to all these different conditions you know, and constantly kind of, you know, repeating, repeating those repetitions, action, action, action. Um, and then what it does is it, when the time comes that you have to perform, you know, when you move into a certain area, you'll recognize that, uh, Hey, wait a second. I recognize this pattern and that'll give you a starting point, you know, uh, because again, we, we talk, we want leaders to fight the enemy, not the plan. But when you walk in, you recognize a pattern that allows you to move forward, develop that situation, and then continue to modify that as needed in order to accomplish uh, a specific, uh, you know, a specific objective that you do. Um, and then, then, of course, the other the other thing, too, is, you know, with with that, um, you know, we may talk about it later is our after action review uh, okay. process. where We kind of dissect you know, what, you know, what happened. And then we look for a way to, uh, to get better. We can actually talk about that now. I mean, we do in the fire service, we do after action reviews or post incident analysis. And it really is designed, uh, right from the, the, uh, model that the army has created. I think a lot of the things that we do in a fire service, you know, come from things that were established in the army, but what we do in our, our form of an after action review is we, we start with what did your team do? And then we go to what worked well, then what could your team do better and who needs to know? Is that similar to what you do? It is. It's, it is. It's, uh, it's, it's remarkably similar, Frank, you know, so our after action review process, you know, it's, uh, it, it generally goes with, you know, what happened, you know, explain in detail kind of what happened and, and you could conduct an after action review at varying, varying points. So you can do formal, formal after action reviews after a day or two of an exercise, or you can do what we call hot washes, which is just something that, you know, immediately after a significant action where you just take a small pause in the action. Say, okay, stop time out. Hey, let's, let's have a discussion. But the general AAR process, you know, goes with what happened. Uh, and you know, you want to facilitate them explaining to you, you know, what you were supposed to do, you know, what you did and, and then kind of, you know, what was the, you know, what, what ended up, you know, falling out of it. And then you talk about sustains, you know, what you did well in the planning preparation and the execution phase of, uh, of the operation. And then you moved into the, uh, into the improves. What, what could we do right. better now? And it's great to do that. But then the next thing comes in, you know, if you don't, if you don't actually pin that rose on someone to fix, you know, uh, it's, you, you know, you're just admiring the problem. So the last thing we follow up with, follow up with is, you know, who and how are we going to fix that problem and right. when? Right. You've got to assign responsibility. Um, but, but then that also goes for the, you know, on the flip side, the, so we often focus on what went wrong, right? And, and then, you know, going back and we want to fix it. But then it goes back to, you know, what, uh, you know, what Hal Moore talked about. Uh, hey, if nothing's wrong, nothing's wrong, except it's wrong. Right. Uh, sometimes you have to look at, so if something good happened, how do we sustain that? I mean, what actions do we need to take in place? What training did we do that drove that positive outcome? And, uh, and if you don't take steps to necessarily, you know, nurture and develop and, and, and continue that, you know, that, that could, you know, the next time you do an operation, you know, uh, or a mission or an exercise, you know, that sustain that you did three, four weeks ago can end up being an improved because you didn't take the right actions to drive it forward. So again, not just, right. not just the negatives, but also on the positive side of, uh, side of things. Well, I like that. I mean, the goal needs to be, you leave there better than you came in, you know, but at the same time, positive reinforcement is so important because, 
I mean, there are times when people can do 10 things right and maybe did one or two things wrong, and we need to address the one or two they did wrong, but we should certainly spend time focusing also on what they did right. You know, that's you agree exactly, with that? I do. I, I think but, that's exactly uh, that's exactly right. So another uh, person that I'd always admired was General Norman Schwarzkopf, Storm and Norman. And uh, I wanted to tell you this, that I had an opportunity to hear him speak one time, and it was, uh, it was in front of about 20,000 people. It was amazing. He was talking about 14 rules of leadership. And when he got to the last two, and I was writing notes like crazy, but when he got to the last two, he says, if you forget everything else, just remember rule 13 and 14. Now, here I am, Colonel, probably 20 years later, and I forget every rule except 13 and 14. And so when he said that, I, you know, I, I specifically remember that statement. But what he said is rule 13 was, when placed in command, take charge. And my way of paraphrasing that is, you know, when you show up and it's time for you to make a decision and act, don't look around for someone else to be the hero. You're it. You're the one that has to make the decision. And when he elaborated on that, he said, a lot of people will ask me, what do I do when I don't know what to do? He said, that's the easy one. That's rule 14. Do what's right. Always do what's right. And I'd heard him another time say to be an effective leader, you need character and you need strategy. But if you have to be without one, be without strategy. Can you talk about that? Sure. You know, so uh, just, of course, when in charge, you know, be in charge. I mean, I, I think that's, uh, you know, that's that's the key thing. Leading leading is an active, you know, commanding is an, is an, is an active sport, if you will. It's a contact sport. I mean, you get paid to do something, right? You have to have a positive outcome. Yep. You know, you can't sit on your hands and just expect everything to happen, you know, uh, around you. So you've got to, you've got to be active in order to be, uh, in order to be successful. Now, now we talk about, uh, you know, the strategy and trust and, uh, and I think it, it really comes down and then, you know, I'll talk about, uh, trust or, or character, um, and, but I'm, I'm going to reach back to trust and that's why I brought that up. Okay. So, um, so, you know, trust, as I talked about in, uh, you know, in mission command and in, uh, in command climate is, uh, is incredibly, incredibly important. It really is the, it's, uh, it's the, the main, main building block in creating a positive command climate, right? And trust is a, uh, is a relationship. Um, you know, I've seen a lot of different definitions and explanations of, uh, trust and I'm sure, you know, uh, many of our listeners, you know, that's going through their mind, well, what is exactly, is exactly trust? Well, I mean, just in some of the reading that I've done, I've read Stephen Covey's, uh, the speed of trust, you know, it's a, and that, and that book, if you really want to understand mission command, you want to take mission command outside of the military paradigm and, and kind of and utilize it in a civilian you know, framework. I think that the uh, I think Stephen Covey does a fantastic job of explaining, articulating and operationalizing uh, mission command and, you know, outside outside of the army context. So I, I think great, great, uh, great, great book. Mm -hmm. But he describes trust as two things. He describes trust as having competence and character, competence and character. And you got to have two of those. You got, you got to have both of them, you know, and, and if you, if there's a degradation in one, you know, it, you, you begin to erode that, that relationship of trust between you and the rest of your, uh, of your, of your organization. And again, this is, this is challenging. This is not right. necessarily easy depending on the size of your, uh, of your organization. Um, and so, I mean, competence, you got to, you got to know your job, right? Got to know my job as, 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 as good as I possibly can. And always, you know, always realize that, you know, you've got to continue to learn and do, and do more. Now, character is that, is that next piece. You've got to be, you know, a person, you know, a man or woman of character. 
And then it gets into, well, that's the next thing. So what, what is character? You know, how do, how do we define character? What is it? Again, lots of different ways to, you know, to look at it and analyze it and read about it. And people have been, you know, writing about it for a really, really long time. And, uh, and so I, I keep the most basic of definitions in terms of, um, in terms of character. And I go back to, you know, what, uh, Plato described in his, you know, Plato's Republic, he talks about, uh, you know, it's called Plato's virtuous man. And it comes down to, uh, you know, four things. It comes down to having courage, justice, wisdom, and temperance, you know, mm-hmm. so those are four characteristics of, of, or, you know, four traits of a character, um, and as a leader, you've got to have all of them. Now, in, in modern days, you've seen, uh, you know, courage sometimes referred to as fortitude and you've seen wisdom sometimes referred to as prudence. So, again, you know, just courage, justice, wisdom and uh, and um, and temperance. Those are those those four characteristics. Absolute must have. You can't be, you know, incredibly courageous, but not be just in your actions. Right. Um, and you, and you can't be incredibly just, but not demonstrate, you know, uh, you know, prudence or wisdom in your, uh, in your decision-making you've got to, you've, you've got to strive to develop yourself and meet the standard in every single one of those. Because if you are not a person of, of character and your, and your character is in question, you know, then people don't necessarily trust you. And when you have an erosion of trust, you know, it, it, it begins to really deteriorate and adds toxicity to that, to that climate that you're trying to lead within. Mm. You know, you talk about trust and it's funny cause I was going to ask you if you were going to, can talk about some other traits and you just mentioned quite a few of them. Uh, but something else that I know that you find important is balance. And, uh, you know, you, you and I, when we were speaking, you talked about general Powell and how he talked about how you have to have a hobby outside the army. Can you talk about that too? Sure. I mean, so, um, you know, so part of, uh, you know, temperance in, you know, in very, very simple terms, you know, is, uh, it's, it's all about, it's all about balance. Right. And so, uh, you know, what you want to try, you want to try avoiding is being a zealot, you know, or an extremist in, in anything that you do, right. You got to demonstrate that uh, you got to demonstrate balance. So, so in Colin Powell's, uh, autobiography, you know, uh, early on in the book, he, you know, he's, he's offering advice up to, uh, you know, to his readers and, you know, really future leaders, you know, he says that first advice he would give to a young officer is, hey, you know, or a leader is make sure you have a hobby. You find some hobby outside of the army. The army can't be your hobby. You know, uh, you've you got to find some hobby outside that you devote just as much energy and passion to as you do the army, because what that'll do is that'll that'll give you a balance in, in life. And it also pull you out of the office, you know, to pull you out of the workspace, because as a leader. And you're in the office. There's a good chance that you know many of your subordinates may, you know, may be watching you, or they may be in the office at the same time. And so, um, you know, it, it, that that sometimes you, you see that a lot. You know, where people just stay at work for endless amounts of time for no good reason, just because they're bosses. So, you know, as a boss, everyone's watching you and having balance. And you're seeing, and your subordinates seeing you, you know, go out and do things. You know, that 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 shows to them that hey, having a life outside of whatever job you're in is actually a good thing. And, and really it's, it's, it's a must thing. You, you've got to, you've got to balance between your work, you know, uh, you know, and your, and your, and your family life and your, and your personal life. Um, because if you don't, you're not necessarily leading that, uh, you know, that, that complete life and something, something's going to suffer, you know, because in the end, you know, we want to be successful in our career, you know, we want to, and we want to be successful in our, in our, uh, you know, our personal and our, and our family life. But, but if you're, if you, you spend too much time at work, you know, you're going to, you know, you're going to miss, uh, you know, you're going to miss something at home. I had a boss a long time ago that told me, you know, I mean, you've, you've got to do work. There's no escape around it, but you know, also when you work, 
you know, and how you work is, is, um, you know, uh, is, is important too. And, you know, in the army, you know, we typically start our day pretty early, you know, usually every morning around six 30 in the morning, we're up for our physical, uh, our physical training. And we, and we tend to work, you know, fairly late, uh, fairly late too, you know, uh, I mean, in many cases you could have folks working, you know, till easily 19, you know, 7 PM or 7 30 PM, which is, which is pretty late. And so in order to break that model, you know, I had an old boss said, you know, make sure you're home for dinner with your family every night, mm. you know, and that, that's, a, that's about balance. You know, just make sure. So if you got work to do come in earlier or, or do it later on when they go to sleep, but you know, your, your family doesn't know what time you're going to work. You know, your, your family just knows that, Hey, maybe you're not home, you know, for, uh, you know, for dinner. And so, uh, so I've, for a long time now, that is, that's kind of the model that I've approached. And I just really try to make sure that I'm home for, for dinner every night or as many nights as I can be. It's impossible, right. To, to be home every night, right. uh, things come up, but as often as I can, you know, uh, that, that's why I try. And I have hobbies, you know, I, I, you know, I'm, a, you know, an avid shotgunner and, and, uh, and so I, I try to spend, you know, time in, you know, doing that as well on top of my, uh, my army, my army life. Yeah, you've been active your whole life. I know in uh, 1993, you were Rutgers University Most Valuable Athlete for Men's Heavyweight Crew. And, you know, you rode uh, for a long time. You played football. A lot of people that are listening to this um, don't know that you and I played youth football together. And, uh, you know, I don't know if I want to say the name of the team that we worked for because it was named after a florist. But <laughs> but it was, uh, you know, it's youth football nonetheless, but we... I remember we won the championship one year, but I remember leading into the final game, uh, you had fell, you had cut your hand, and you were one of the star players on the team for sure. And I remember how devastated we all were when we thought, if we don't have, and it wasn't Colonel Felty back then, if, if we don't have Tom Felty on this team with us, we didn't feel we could win and we went to see you. And I guess the coach felt the same way because he taped you up and you went out and you played anyway. But uh, the reason I bring this up, is there's a lot of people that are listening to us that have young children. And, you know, our a lot of our children play youth sports. I have a lot of people that come on this podcast that are also either athletes or coaches, uh, you know, at Rutgers, Rutgers wrestling coach for one. Um, what do you think, uh, or how do you think youth sports have helped shape you and teach you about things like leadership and teamwork? Yeah, I, I tell you, I think... Uh you know, sports was, was a major, major, you know, reason for where I am, I am today. I could not imagine, you know, being where I am today, you know, without, without sports, without both, uh, you know, for me, it was both football and, uh, football and rowing, right. uh, just, you know, critical to helping develop me at a very, very young age. And, you know, things, things that I've learned, you know, you learn right off the bat, you learn, you learn about discipline, you know, you learn about teamwork, you learn about goal setting, you know, you learn about, um, you know, just doing something, wait, going back day after day when it's really, really hard, you know, right. so doing and accomplishing hard things physically, you know, pushing yourself and, you know, getting in better shape, you know, um, and, and then, you know, I think it's, you know, the, the other thing too, is I think, you, you know, you learn how to win. Um, but then also importantly, you, you know, you learn how to lose, okay. you know, and, uh, you, you know, you initially, you can't be a winner every single time, but, you know, it taught me how to lose, uh, uh, especially high school football, you know, Carney, we didn't necessarily have the best of uh, football teams. So mm -hmm. I learned how to lose, uh, you know, uh, but kind of in a, in a gentlemanly professional sportsmanlike kind of, mm -hmm. uh, way. Uh, athletics also taught me, you know, the importance of, uh, you know, strong body and strong mind, you know, uh, it's the two things together. I think that, uh, that help make you an effective, an effective person. You know, I always find some of my best thinking takes place, you know, today, 
you know, uh, you know, when I'm out, when I'm out running or swimming or biking, I recently gotten into, uh, you know, into, uh, you know, the shorter distance triathlons. And, uh, right. I think that I'm, you know, I, my mind is much better, you know, for that. I feel better, more energy, you know, uh, when I'm, when I'm out there, uh, doing sports. Well, I was going to uh, actually, but, I was going to ask you about what types of things you do to help reduce stress. Cause you're in a stressful profession. Like I'm in a stressful profession. Um, absolutely. You think things like running, working out help you? Oh, no, absolutely. It, it, you know, critical ones, <laughs> especially, um, you know, uh, you know, I'll give you an example. So, uh, when I was a, uh, an infantry battalion commander, I deployed my, uh, my battalion into a very, very, you know, or relatively small, uh, forward operating base and the, uh, in fob spin Boldak on the Afghanistan Pakistan border. I mean, really literally was, you know, kind of the edge of the, uh, edge of the empire kind of place, something out of a star Wars, you know, uh, uh, kind of, kind of movie. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of stuff going on, you know, we were deployed for, uh, and this was a, you know, it was only a nine month, uh, only a nine month deployment. Uh, you know, I've been on longer, I was on a 15 month deployment to Mosul, which was, you know, much more difficult and very kinetic, uh, you know, combat, uh, type, type tour. But, but in this story, there's a lot of, there's just a lot of stress and a lot of pressures of, of leading, you know, 1500 men and women, you know, in a, you know, in a combat environment down there in the Afghanistan, Pakistan border. Um, but it, what, what kept me straight, I'm sure is that every morning, you know, I woke up really early. It was like four o'clock in the morning. I would get up and I'd start my day, you know, five days a week with a, uh, with a long run. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, my running partner was actually my chaplain. You know, so, you know, he was, uh, you know, the one responsible for the spiritual health of, uh, of our organization. And so every morning, you know, we, we woke up and, and we ran, you know, we talked about things, but I am, but I am absolutely certain that that was, uh, you know, a central part of, you know, me maintaining my, you know, my spiritual, you know, mental, emotional and physical well-being, and, you know, and, and I'm, and I'm stronger for it, you know, and when, when something bad happened, I, I just think I was much better able to, to deal with it, you know, because of, because of that. Right. That's great. So before uh, we wrap up, I just want to ask you a little bit about uh, one more topic, and that's a topic of mentors. Do you have some mentors? And it sounds like your chaplain may have been one of them, but do you have some mentors? And if so, who and how have they affected your life? Sure. I, you know, uh, so I, you know, the, the topic of mentors, you know, uh, you know, mentors, you can't assign a mentor, you know, mentorship just kind of happens, you know, uh, but, but I do think that it's, uh, that it's, 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 it's very, very important. So I, you know, so I've got a few mentors, but I would say my most influential mentor is, uh, is actually, uh, Lieutenant General HR McMaster, you know, our current national security advisor in the United States. So, uh, you know, General McMaster and I, I first served with him in, uh, in Germany. I was a captain and he was a, a Lieutenant Colonel. I was his, uh, his adjutant and I commanded two cavalry troops underneath him. And, uh, and he was just, you know, that, he was just an incredibly dynamic and intelligent, you know, combat, combat leader. Um, and, and he just, he really took his time to slow down, to talk to you about career decisions, family decisions. Um, and he did so much, he invested so much in developing us and taught us how to, uh, you know, taught us how to read and use history. Uh, and then, and you know, he also just taught us how to fight, you know, uh, he was, he's had a pretty successful fighting career, you know, as a troop commander, as a captain at desert storm, you know, we led the battle, uh, his Eagle troop in the battle of uh, 73 Easting where his, his, his cap troop, you know, destroyed like an Iraqi brigade in, in pretty short order. But, um, but he's been, he's been someone that, you know, I've just kept in touch with over the years, just a relationship. And he's continued to, you know, uh, to, to talk to me, give me career advice and guidance and I can troubleshoot ideas off of him. 
you know, he, um, you know, he pr- promoted me to Colonel uh, a couple of years ago when, uh, when I, when I was first selected. And so, uh, you know, he's been, he's been pretty, pretty influential. And, uh, you know, I, I try to do that, that as well to, uh, to, you know, to my subordinates, I try to mirror that. Um, he's getting a little busy now, so I can't really pester him much. Mm-hmm. He's, he's got his hands full as a national security advisor. No doubt. Um, but there's, but again, I have, you know, my current commanding general here is, is, and my uh, deputy commanding generals do really do the same thing. They take on much more of a mentorship role other than a uh, direct supervisor. And it's, it's, it's kind of, you kind of go in and out of character. All right. I'm in the, I'm in your, I'm your direct boss mode. Then you'll shift into more developmental. Um, Hey, I'm, I'm in the mentor mode now and, and, uh, I'm giving you different advice and things like that. So very, very important uh, that, you know, that we sustain and, and perpetuate that mentorship within, within the army. That's great. Colonel Felty, I really appreciate that you had taken time to sit down and talk with us today. I know you're busy. No, thanks, Frank. Thanks, Chris, for, uh, you know, really providing me this, uh, this, this opportunity just to kind of share a little bit of, of how we do business, uh, you know, in, uh, in, in our army. Yeah, well, we can all learn from the army. There's no doubt. I mean, we've been doing it for years in our industry, but I think so many other industries can, and hopefully they'll have a chance to listen to this and take some of these tips and points away from them. So thank you very much and, uh, and have a great day. All right. Thanks, Frank. Greatly appreciate it. It's that- been, uh, been, been my honor. If anybody is interested on how to support the podcast, really the easiest way, head right over to our website, fireinsidepodcast.com. Right at the top of the page there, you have a link to all our socials. Uh, you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash fireinsidepodcast. Also, our Twitter and Instagram links. We're pretty active on all of those. Definitely also make sure you check out our YouTube page. We do some exclusive content there, kind of behind the scenes, um, extra stuff that gets cut out of the actual podcast, but some really great stuff over there. Check that out. Make sure you subscribe on YouTube. Also, if you'd like to purchase any of the books from um, either Frank or any of our guests, shoot over to our website, fireinsidepodcast.com. Click on the shop link up at the top. That'll bring you to our page broken down by episode of each one of our guests. And those will take you over to our Amazon affiliate links where you can pick up a copy. Also, wherever you're listening to us, whether it's on TuneIn, Stitcher, iTunes, stop by one of those pages, give us a like. Leave a comment. Reviews are always great. We'd love to hear from you guys. And that's about it. So I hope everyone enjoyed today's episode and we will see you next time.